I was glad when they said unto me, let us come to one community church and worship the Lord. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as you're turning there. Uh, let me just say, I, I came and preached here several times during COVID, and again, to look at the baby dedication, y'all, y'all was fruitful, and you multiplied. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm thinking about this. My baby sister's an OBGYN, she delivers babies, and uh, she said she's delivered a couple of, of uh, babies named Covita. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. But I came here a couple times during, during, during COVID, and it was just two or three of us gathered in his name, and I'm looking into a camera preaching, and then to just look around at the family of God. God has been good, hadn't he? He has seen us through a pandemic. He has brought us together. As my grandmama used to say, he has kept us from danger seen and unseen. There's stuff you don't even know about that God has protected you from. One more time, don't patty cake him. Can you just give God a hand clap of praise for his goodness and for his faithfulness? I'm also grateful to God for, for your pastor, Pastor Conway Edwards. I call him America's best secret. Um, typically with churches this size, you, you get a pastor who just hits the road all the time and just preaching, but... Um, Conway has made a concerted effort to focus on his flock uh, and to be here. He loves you all that much, uh, and so I give praise and honor and glory to God for him and his wife, Sister Jada Edwards. Um, I am grateful, grateful to God for them. There's an anointing on this house. God is doing incredible things, and I don't want you to ever take for granted the moves of God in this house, across all the locations, and literally people across the world are being transformed by the vision and leadership, and more importantly, the Spirit of God pulsating through the people of God of one community church. First Corinthians chapter 4, I want to give just a simple word on identity and the freedom of knowing who you are, and how that frees you from the tyranny of people-pleasing. Two or three of us in this room need this word. And I'm going I'm to get finished, hop in a car, and go to the airport um, and stop at Papa Do's on the way. So here we go. <laughs> Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, he says, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, he says, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, he concludes, do not pronounce judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and shall disclose the purposes of the heart. 
And then each one's one translation says praise. ESV says commendation shall come to him from God. God, would the seed of your word fall on good ground? Would it take root? Would it produce fruit? As the old preachers used to say, would you stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue? Those things you'd have us know, say, and do. Give me clarity of mind, concision of speech. May I just step in the flow of what you want to do at this hour among your people. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We all know what identity theft is. It's when a person or persons get access to very intimate, detailed information about you. Oftentimes, it is your social security number, and they take that, that information and they assume your identity. If you've ever been a victim of that, you know that nothing is more violating than that. They oftentimes open up lines of credit. They make significant purchases. Some have been known to buy cars, even houses, while assuming someone else's identity. My wife and I have never uh, experienced that, but we wanted to get ahead of the game, so we entered into a partnership relationship with an organization called LifeLock. We all know who LifeLock is. They're an organization whose stated aim is to secure our identity. LifeLock can be a bit nerve-wracking. They can be a little annoying. Because what we've discovered is every time LifeLock sees something questionable, a questionable purchase, they're going to send me an email notification every single time. Seems like my, 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 my email is just buzzing all over the place. And the essence of these emails from LifeLock can be reduced to three words. Is this you? Is this you? It is the question of identity. All of us ask the question of identity. We, we might not say, is this you? But we'll use another three words, who am I? We, we all wrestle with that. Identity is the soundtrack to our souls. It is the background elevator music of our minds. This is not just a question church folk act. It's a question that all of humanity, all of us made in what the theologians call the Imago Dei. We are constantly asking ourselves the question, who am I? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that, that great early to mid 20th century German theologian, wrestled with the question of identity. Here he is, having stood up to the Nazi regime and stood for the marginalized Jews. And he finds himself in a concentration camp. And days before he is executed, he writes a poem entitled, Who Am I? Look at what he says. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, 
fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved. Who am I, he writes. They mocked me, these lonely questions of mine. Oh, I love how he ends. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Ultimately, Bonhoeffer says, my identity is not found in my popularity. It's not found in my activism. It is found in my God. Nonetheless, we, we ask this question. I, 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 here I was uh, standing before a group of NFL players, February of 2020, one month before the pandemic, and I said to them, I'm looking out, Heisman Trophy winners, some of them, and I, I said, here's your problem. Your problem, guys, is that for many of you, your identity is tied into your performance. So the time you were a little guy, you learned quickly that who you are is found in the stat sheet. It's how many yards did you rush for? It's how many uh, catches did you make? How many tackles did you make? How many touchdowns did you score? You do enough of that, you get recruited to a D1 college, but the performance doesn't stop. You've got to keep on performing, and you perform really well, you get drafted into the NFL, but once you get there, the performance doesn't stop because everybody knows it's all about the second contract. You've got to perform, perform, perform. You get that coveted second contract, and, and here's your problem. At some point, an injury is going to come. At some point, retirement will hit you, the people will leave, the lights will be turned down low, and you will be left with the question, who am I? Some of you all are dealing with this question now. You went to school, you got the degrees, you, you worked really hard, you got into that profession, you, you, you checked all the boxes, and finally you got that coveted job, and things were going well, and you were, you were making the money, and you were just kind of moving on up, matriculating your way through the organization, and all of a sudden there was a restructuring at the company, and you got the pink slip, and now here you are wondering, with your Ph.D., who? am I? We're dealing with this in my own house. I got a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old. We're dropping our 18-year-old off at college. Two down, one to go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. We are excited. Two more years from now, if we go according to plan, my, my son will be released from the house. We're praying Psalm 127 over him. Children, the Bible says, are like arrows, not boomerangs. They are released never to return. And I get married, and my wife, she um, broadcast journalism degree from Columbia. She was working for ABC News at the time. We, we get married, and uh, she comes to me pregnant with our first son about four or five months in, and, and she said... Uh, she said, I believe the Lord wants me to quit my job and come home full time. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I need that paper. <laughs> but I don't say anything. I support her and praise God for that decision. The last several decades, she's been at home full time, focused on our kids. And yet with the last one about ready to leave the house, she's about to get fired from her job. And guess what question she's wrestling with? Who am I? I know where I'm at. I'm, I'm here preaching at Plano. This is the good part of Texas. I've seen Legacy West. 
I swear to you, my wife will never see Legacy West <laughs> in her life. In her life. She will never see that. She'll ask me later on that, honey, how was it? And where'd you say? Oh, I stayed at this awful hotel in this awful <laughs> part of town. Some of you all are very successful people. You've got the job and things are going well and Man, I, 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 I pastor 30-something-year-old retirees who started the company, and they've done the IPO. They cashed out tens of millions of dollars. They're 36 years old, playing 36 holes of golf. But slowly over time, they start to come to my church because what they realize is even though they've checked all the boxes, there's still this question that all the shoes and golf clubs and vacations and homes and cars can never fully answer. It is the question, who am I? So here's Paul. He dives headlong into the question of identity. Right out the gates in our text, he deals with identity. Why is he dealing with identity? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 tells us why. Paul says, I've gotten a bad report, church of Corinth, about you. I've gotten this bad report. I love it. I've gotten this bad, bad report, Paul writes, from Chloe's house. Now, if I'm Chloe, I ain't too happy because I told you to keep your mouth shut. This was between me and you. I was just giving you some tea. Here's Paul. Chloe has told me that you all are a divided church. Some of you are saying you're of Paul. This makes sense. Uh, uh, Paul was the founder of the church. He was the Conway Edwards of the church. And that's my guy, Paul, a, a great leader. I'm behind him. Others of you, I'm, I ain't with Paul. He can't even really preach that good, the Corinthians would say. I'm, I'm with his successor, uh, uh, Apollos, that silver throat orator who can preach the paint off the walls. That's my guy. Others of uh, people are saying, no, I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Apollos. I'm, I'm of Peter, the one who got this whole church thing kicked off on the day of Pentecost. Others are saying, I'm not of Paul. Paul, Apollos, or Peter. I'm of Jesus Christ who really got the whole thing kicked off. And Paul is saying, all of you all are wrong. You are, you are incredibly divided and you have sold yourself out for a celebrity culture within the church of Jesus Christ. By implication, Paul is saying, here's the problem. Because your identity really, really isn't in Jesus and you have settled to put your identity in the lesser identities of this life, division is bound to follow. When Jesus is not my identity and I put my identity in the lesser things of this world, I am going to experience division. Oh, you need proof of that? Are we not a divided church now? We're divided politically. We have allowed Don Lemon and Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity and MSNBC and Newsmax and Fox News and, and CNN, we've allowed them to disciple us more than Jesus. Some of y'all know more CNN than you know Bible. Biden didn't die on the cross for you. Biden ain't your savior. Trump ain't your savior. We are not the people of the elephant. We're not the people of, of the donkey. We're the people of the lamb. 
Christ ain't coming back on Air Force One. The Spirit ain't popping Maylocks over what's happening at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Jesus was there before your president got voted in. He's going to be there after your president got voted in. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Trump's going to bow. Biden's going to bow. Clinton's going to bow. Obama is going to bow. Obama ain't your savior. Jesus is your savior. Some of y'all just knew Obama was going to save the day. Jesus. So what happens? I put my identity in my politics. I'm divided from people who look at it differently. Here we go. Y'all ain't got to amen me on this one. We're divided racially. Some of y'all are more black than you are Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. When Jesus saved me, he did not call me to eradicate my blackness. John said, I looked up into heaven. I saw people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. How do you see on sight differences among people group unless you're seeing differences in skin color? My skin color is not a fruit of the fall. I'm going to be black in heaven. So we're not going colorblind. I'm a black man. Because I'm black, I don't hike. <laughs> you want me to go up in the woods for what? For what? It's like, that's fun for you? There's some news stories you know we ain't got nothing to do with. You ain't never in your life heard of Tyrone getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> never. Heidi has... We're different. We are different. So Jesus doesn't call me to eradicate my blackness, but he does call me to subjugate my blackness. My identity is in Christ. Now watch it. Here's the tension. There's a group of people at the church who are saying, we're of Paul. And I get it. Paul, phenomenal leader. In fact, if we were to do a ranking of world leaders, I think Paul easily top five. Right now, millions of people all over the world are being shaped and formed by one of his letters that he wrote. Here's a guy, he could walk into a city almost ex nihilo, out of nothing, and get a, get a church going, and all these people get saved, the church gets going, he then leaves, he goes to the next town, does it all over again, and leaves there, goes to the next town. Leadership guru. And so I get it, people are saying, Paul is my guy, and so the temptation, Paul, is, is base your identity, build your brand off of your successes. Put your identity in that. There's another group of people and this is the bulk of the church at Corinth, they don't like Paul. They think Paul's a failure. They say, you can't preach. You're not very impressive. You can't this. You can't that. You can't this. You're a failure. And the identity is, is to swing the pendulum away to the other direction and to build my identity off of my weaknesses and flaws and faults and failures. That's real in vogue today. You and I know people who have built their image off of victimhood. 
always a victim and always a victim and always a victim. My daddy didn't do this and that traumatic experience happened to me. And then I, I sat with a, with a counselor and that counselor gave me a nice little category. And now I put that category on me and I wear that label. Hear me, go to counseling, go to therapy. I do it regularly, but be careful of wearing worldly labels of victimhood and allowing that to define you. Your past may explain you, but it does not excuse you. You are more than conquerors. Greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. We got to come out of this victim's mindset. We got to come out of that. So here's Paul. One group says, be defined by your successes. Another group says, be defined by your failures. Paul, which is it? Paul says, if you want to define me, here's how you define me. I am a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. I ain't my successes. I ain't my failures. I am Christ. Now, Paul is writing in Greek, and the Greek word for servant simply means under rower, under rower. It is an image of the big Roman ships that would sail the Mediterranean Sea. And they weren't powered, of course, we know, by, by coal or electricity or gas. They were powered by scores of men who had a row in hand, and they would row, not according to their whims, wishes, or wants. They would row according to the will of the pilot. They were under his authority. He says, not only am I an under rower, a servant, I am also a steward, Greek word oikonomos, from which we get the English word economics. The steward was the one who, watch it now, managed the house. They did not own the house. The clearest biblical example of this is Potiphar and Joseph. Potiphar's name is on the deed of the house. Joseph manages the house. He is under Potiphar's authority. The commonality to both of these terms means that I am under someone else's authority. And my identity is so inextricably tied to that pilot, to, to that owner, to that person, that to see me is to see them. We are under Christ's authority. What did he do to deserve this? Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that you have been bought with a price? On the cross, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but he's washed it white as snow. Now, if someone gave their life for you, the least you can do is to live under their authority. Paul is saying, I'm not defined by my best days. I'm not defined by my worst days. I'm not defined by being unemployed. I'm not defined by being employed. I'm not defined by the fact that I live in an apartment. I'm not defined by the fact that I live in a mansion. I am defined by the fact that I belong to Jesus. When my identity, listen now, is in Christ, it allows me to put gospel distances between my weakness and my, and my strengths. Because Christ defines me. Now here's the problem. The problem is, Paul in this text riddles it with legal language. Over and over and over again, he uses words like judge and judgment. The Greek word for judge, hear this now, the Greek word for judge 
doesn't so much speak of the verdict or the outcome. But the Greek word for judge, watch it, speaks of the process. This word judge, hear it now, it means to be scrutinized. It means to be evaluated. It, 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 it means to have someone watch over you, to assess. Paul is saying, we are constantly being scrutinized. We are constantly being evaluated by others. This was Paul's life. He's constantly being scrutinized by the Judaizers and by religious leaders. And he literally stands in court before King Agrippa who is scrutinizing him. He goes to Lystra and they're evaluating him. And he goes to Ephesus and a mob breaks out. And he's constantly being scrutinized. We all know this. People are constantly forming judgments and opinions of us. They're looking at what we wear. They're watching where we live. They're evaluating us based on whether or not we went to school or what school did you go to? Did you graduate? Did you just get a bachelor's degree? Oh, you got a master's degree. Oh, you got a doctorate degree. They're they're looking at our children, how our children are behaving. If we've been divorced, they're making opinions on that. If we've never been divorced, they're making opinions on that. If we've never been married, why ain't you married? Constantly we are at the mercy of other people's opinions. Paul says when you know who you are, you are free from the opinions of others. But he goes on to say, but to me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, which means... You're forming your opinions of me. And then he goes on to say, in fact, I don't even judge myself. The implication is we all struggle with judging ourselves. All of us have an inner lawyer who is working overtime, constantly critiquing us. You don't believe this? Stand in front of the mirror. Inner lawyer going hard at work. You, you leave a meeting with someone and you go, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Or I should have said that nicer. Or I should have been more firm. We are constantly critiquing ourselves. And one of the most freeing things you could ever do is to give your inner lawyer a pink slip. We need to fire our inner lawyer. Paul is saying, I'm being judged by others. We're being judged by ourselves. But at the end of the day, Paul says... When your identity is in Christ, you're free from that because you understand there's only one judge that matters. He ends our text by saying, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. He says there is coming a day when we will face the judgment of God. Hebrews says it this way, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. I don't care how much kale salads you eat, you will die, and we shall behold him face to face. And he says what makes his judgment better is he sees our hearts. You see my actions. He sees my attitude. You see my motions. He sees my motive. You see in part. He sees the whole play with his judgment in mind. 
I love the game of golf. I absolutely love it. Man, I hope there's golf courses in heaven. <laughs> I love the game of golf. On the PGA Tour, PGA tournaments are typically four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And each of those days, you need to understand, they move what's called the pin placements. Pin placements, that little flag that's on the green that the golfers aim at. Each day they move them. Sunday's pin placements are always the hardest because Sunday is the last day, and that's the day where they give out the awards. Now, I should have had this in mind some years ago because on a Wednesday, I was at Augusta National the day before the tournament started following Tiger Woods around for his practice round. And what I saw during this practice round following Tiger Woods around blew my mind. Because not once all day did this joker hit it close to the pin. Not once. If it was front left, he hit it back right. If it was front right, he hit it back left. And not only was he not hitting it close, he seemed perfectly content. Well, things finally reached a crescendo because on a par three, again, front left pin placement, Tiger hits his shot way back, back right about 50 feet from the pin And this fella has the nerve to slap high five with his caddy. And the caddy says to him, great shot. Well, I couldn't contain myself, y'all. I know you're supposed to have a level of decorum when you're in the gallery. I just let it slip. Great shot? Really? That was not a great shot. (laughs) To which someone in the gallery said to me, dear sir, Tiger is not playing with today's pin placements in mind. He's playing with Sunday's pin placements in mind. Here it was a Wednesday, and Tiger was not operating under the tyranny of the present. He was playing with the future in mind. And he let the future awards day dictate his behavior in the present. Oh, I wish I had someone to help me right now. Paul is saying, don't get caught up in this world, but play with the next world in mind and let what will happen on that great getting up morning to determine how you live your life in the present because you are a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. Well, in my last four minutes and 54 seconds, Really, this is the last service of the day, and you got a clock on me? Anyways. (laughs) This text is masterfully argued as we round third and head for home. What happens when my identity ain't in my job? Ain't in the letters behind my name? What happens when my identity is in Christ? There's freedom. I'm free from your opinions. I'm free from my opinions. And what then happens when I'm free from the judgments of others? God becomes big. People become small. Paul says, but to me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's writing in Greek again, and the Greek word, the typical Greek word for small is micros, from which we get the English word microscope or microscopic. This word for small is the superlative of micros, which means Paul says, your opinions of me are not just small or tiny, 
they're tiny, 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 teeny, 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 or as my grandmama used to say, they're T-90. It's not that I don't hear what you have to say. I just don't care what you have to say. Because if I have to compare little old you with big old God, it ain't even close, baby. Small. Small. Here's Paul. One day he went, and go, went, went to go plant some churches in Galatia, and he walks in and he preaches the gospel to them. And we all understand what the gospel is. The gospel has to do with Christ plus anything equals nothing. So, excuse me, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Here is Paul. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ to them. They get saved. And then after he leaves, there's a group of people who come behind him called the Judaizers. They're, they're false teachers, and they seek to distort the message of the gospel. And so they start telling these new Gentile converts, you ain't really saved because you haven't been circumcised. But they understand that you, I can't just tell them that. I have to first tear down the man Paul. You can't trust what Paul said, they said, because here's a man who wasn't handpicked by Jesus during his earthly ministry. He ain't a real apostle. Google him. He's not a real disciple. You can't trust what he has to say. So they're attacking his identity. Word gets back to Paul. Paul writes Galatians to set their doctrine straight. But before he can get to their doctrine, he has to get to his identity. Right out the gates, Paul says this. Look at it with me. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know what he's saying here? God-pleasing and man-pleasing make horrible co-pilots. You can't do both at the same time. Either God is going to be pleased or your boss who wants you to do something different from God is going to be pleased. Which is it? Paul says at the end of the day, I'm going with God because his opinion is what matters. Again, Corey and I are on the precipice of empty nest. And my youngest son thinks he's God's gift to basketball. Kid's pretty good. He just got, he just got recruited by Rasheed Wallace. He's on the EYBL team. You know, on that same circuit with Team Adidas, Team Nike. In fact, he was just out here a couple weeks ago playing against uh, LeBron James' son, Bronny. And um, costing, uh, costing me a small fortune. Um, but I'm saving all these receipts. If and when he gets drafted in the NBA, he'll hear from me. But here's my son. I'm, 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 I'm getting a bit nostalgic. Because my, my, last, my last boy is about to leave. And uh, I feel like I'm just getting this parenting thing right. And at age seven, my kid starts playing basketball. And I would slip in, and I'd sit way up high, typically by myself in the stands. You know, because I'm not trying to chit-chat with somebody else and watch my boy play. And I noticed Jaden, at seven years old, would do the same thing. He'd steal the ball... And he'd find me in the stands. And he'd go. 
and I'd go, he'd hit a jump shot. He'd find me in the stands. And he'd go, and I'd go, would drive the coaches nuts. I mean, I've had coaches come and talk to me. I, I, I know, sir, you're here to see your boy, but please tell him to stop looking at you. We're trying to get him to play. And then after the game, seven years old, we've got a little tradition. He always made a beeline to me And he would ask me a question. He wouldn't ask anybody else. He wouldn't ask the other coaches. He wouldn't ask the other players. He wouldn't ask the other fans. He would come make a beeline to me. And he'd say, Dad, did I do good? At the end of the day, he didn't ask that question to nobody else. Because in Jaden's mind, is if Dad is pleased, then I'm fine. Oh, friends, that's what Paul is saying. I, I, I play in a church and I find dad and I, I go, dad, did I did do good? Paul is saying, I, I preach my sermon. You may not like it, but dad, did I do good? We have to get to a point in our lives where we go, dad, if that's good enough for you, then I'm good. Forget anyone else hating on me. Forget anyone else walking out on me. If I've pleased God, then I'm good. I don't need your approval. I don't need your, your smile. I don't need your money. If me and God are good, end of story. So let's close on this. Let's go the other way. What happens when I'm in bondage to your opinion? What happens when my sense of joy rises and falls on how you look at me? When that happens, people are big, God is small. And when people are big and God is small, what then happens? I'm now on the performance treadmill. I have to perform for you. I have to perpetuate an image that ain't even me to please you. And you didn't die for me. But when I'm free, when I'm liberated, Now I ain't got to perform. Here's Madonna. I want to read this to you. I want you to look at it with me. Madonna, yes, the singer Madonna, at the height of her fame, selling out all kinds of stadiums around the world in a Vogue magazine article, millions of dollars. She says this, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Watch it. Because even though she says I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am. My struggle has never ended. And I guess it never will. You know what Madonna is saying? Millionaire. One of the most famous people. Here's what she's saying. It'll never be enough. You'll never have enough shoes. You'll never have enough purses. You'll never have enough homes. You'll never have a big enough house. You'll never have enough money. 
You'll never have enough prestige. You will never, if your identity is in this life, you will never get to a point where you go, I'm good. But when your identity is in God, you can be broke, but the most satisfied person there is. Jesus, it says, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Satisfied. Content. Single folk. If you can't be satisfied single with the man Christ, you'll never be satisfied married with a human. So you just need to have some swag to you and say, I'm good. I'm good rich. I'm good broke. I'm good fat. I'm good skinny. I'm good. So Paul says, and I want you to hear his satisfaction. Paul says, and when I I came to you, Corinthians, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You know what he's doing here? Y'all say, I can't preach. So I intentionally was boring. Because my identity is in Christ. I don't need to shout you into the kingdom to feel good about myself. Because if I have to shout you, if I have to add Jesus plus a shout, you ain't saved. So I'm free. Because if Jesus ain't enough, it'll never be enough. I want to pray. Sometimes we hear the word of the Lord and it's, it's a good word, but it's just not where I'm at. So we put it on layaway. Young people don't know what layaway is. Okay. Um. I ain't got time to explain it. So I put it away, and I come back and get it. Other times we hear the word, and it's what the Bible calls a word in season. It's right where I'm at. Some of y'all are in debt up to your eyeballs, and you're just trying to feel good about yourself. People please. Some of you are in depression, suicidal. And yes, I want you to get the help and please take your medication. But some of that's people-pleasing, maybe. Some of you are stuck on what happened back then. And you can't move forward because it's people-pleasing. Others of you, you're on a job right now. People-pleasing. Let me just go right on down the list. People-pleasing, people-pleasing, people-pleasing. Others of you got eating disorders. People-pleasing. Your identity is 
in a certain shape or weight. Others of us, it's just called the normal grind of life. People-pleasing. Some of you are in unhealthy relationships that should have ended a long time ago. People-pleasing. If you were to say, Pastor, this was a word in season for me. Would you stand to your feet? This was, this was right where I'm at. I ain't got to store this one away. It's, it's right, right where I'm at. Right where I'm at. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. Prayer is not a spectator sport. It's a team sport. So if you're sitting next to someone who's standing, I want you to feel the freedom to stretch a hand towards them, to maybe stand with them, and to join me in praying. God, in the name of Jesus, I speak freedom in this house today. I'm thinking of that old movie, Amistad, and that line, give us free. God, give us free in this place today. Give us freedom, Lord God. As we all know what it's like from time to time in various seasons to be shackled to the opinions of others. Oh God, as that song we sing, break every chain today in the name of Jesus. Give us freedom, Lord God. Lift up our eyes. As the psalmist says, Psalm 121, unto the hills, from where does our help come from? Like my son would lift up his eyes and find me in the stands and would ask, did I do good? May that be the anthem of our hearts. May we look to you and say, God, did did we do good in knowing that with you we never work for approval, we work from approval. For you say of each of us what you said of Jesus, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That if we're in Christ, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous. So God, we receive that today. And we say in Christ, we are enough. So loose us from trying to impress the Joneses. Loose us from the past. Loose us from thinking another outfit will do it. Loose us from thinking that relationship will satisfy. Loose us. Give us a godly swag in which we say in you we are enough. Because at the end of the day, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.